0: And our study is The Heartaches of God. And, uh, Ray, you and I have already talked. We don't know if we're going to completely get through everything that we want to talk about tonight. And there is a good possibility that this will just be part one of that, isn't there?
1: You're right. And uh, I've tried to limit my thought processes uh, because the more I studied, the the bigger this thing got, uh, to me anyway. And I know you said it, it did for you too. And we don't want to get lost in trying to present too much material too quickly. And we want to do justice to what we are going to talk about. So I agree. I think it might take more than one lesson. You talk about God, you're talking about a really expansive subject, far beyond the finite mind of man. Incredible.
0: Yeah, and there's just uh, so many things to uh, to look at and explore and to be revealed. And uh, the deeper that you get into it, and we both do our own independent study on each of these lessons, but uh, we we have talked once or twice uh, about this because it was a little bit more difficult to get our talking points down because we just had so much that we could talk about so many different ways that we could go but uh, i'm going to kick it off by just talking about uh, the emotions of god somebody went through the old testament and counted up and said that there are 842 references to the emotions of god in the old testament uh, they There were 447 seven of them that dealt with anger or wrath. There were 101 that dealt with compassion. There were 94 that dealt with joy and pleasure. 44 dealt with love and 42 dealt with zeal and jealousy. And I just kind of did a cursory study myself. And uh, in Psalm 37, I see God laughing. Now, that, that is an emotion that we know of and that we experience and, and that we uh, we share in that. But God laughs as well. He also mourns. We found that in John 11 where Jesus wept, and he is God. We know that from John 1 in verse 1. But God also hates. That's in Proverbs chapter 6, and that takes a lot of people by surprise. But there are things that God hates, and He lists uh, a number of those. He lists seven of those uh, in Proverbs chapter six, and then He loves. Obviously, John three sixteen that He loves the world, uh, that He is so much that He gave His only begotten Son. And also He rejoices in Psalm one o four. By the way, there are scriptures for many, many, many scriptures for all of these. I just picked some of them out. God can be pleased in first Kings chapter three. He can be displeased in numbers chapter 11. He can be angry in numbers chapter 12. He can be jealous in Exodus chapter 34, and he has compassion in Matthew chapter 14. And so th- there's just so many emotions that are built in uh, to the personage uh, of God. Isn't there right?
1: Yes, there is. and. You know, I I think for many of us, it was easy to try to create an image of God in our minds of this very cold being that's sitting in heaven and basically disinterested in in a certain way because he was so much higher than us that the things that we went through and the things that we did really would never affect him in any way that we would deem emotional. Now, I have to say this. A lot of times we will attribute uh, physical characteristics to God that man has. And then we have to be very careful here as we talk about these emotional characteristics that God has because it's very easy to limit his emotions to our emotions and to the motivations of our emotions, and to, I hate to say it, the shallowness of our emotions, and sometimes the wickedness of our emotions. For God will not have that. We'll see that a little bit later in one of our talking points. But he, of course, our our title, I think, is the heartaches of God. And I think what we were reaching out to try to show is that there's a number of things that happen. In the life of every person, it breaks the heart of God. Yep, and and I'm thinking right now. Again, I've said this so many times, but it's going to be a broken record for me. Can you imagine how God feels every time a mother willingly allows a quote unquote doctor or medical professional kill her baby? Can you imagine the pain of what he felt when Pharaoh gave that order, or when Herod gave that order, and. I, that's just one little place to go. All the other misery and the sadness in this world, I think a great number of people think, well, all this stuff happens, and God has not a care in the world. And yes, he does have a care in this world. He cares for me and you. And that word care carries with it not only some interest of an experiment, but it carries with it the idea of a relational, emotional response to our needs. I think this is going to be an important study.
0: I think it is too, and the reason that we went with the heartaches of God, and we talk, we did toss this around early, uh, talking about it, because uh, we talked about you know uh, different things. We could we uh, threw out the word regret and and sorrow and long suffering, and I I listed the the emotional attributes of God there a while ago that he laughs and mourns and hates and loves and what have you. But we settled on the heartaches of God. And the reason that we did is I think that that is uncharted territory. I think that we do not realize that we have a heavenly father that sits in heaven so emotionally involved with his creation that there are times whenever his heart is absolutely broken. And there are other times inspired words used in the bible that talk about uh, the condition of god's heart whenever certain people do certain things and we'll hold off and and uh, mention those uh, in a moment but that's kind of the direction that we want to go i know it's kind of uh it's kind of specialized when we're just talking about the heartaches of god but that's really what we wanted to accomplish isn't it ray
1: you're you're right, Loy. We have to understand something that when we think of a heart as in the human aspect of it, we realize that that is the channel of our intellect. Uh, it's the channel and the blending places where our emotions come together. And I remember a man once told me. He said, he said the sufferings of this life carve a deep channel in the human heart. But he said, but also that deep channel can be filled at times, with love and hope and joy. And the deeper those channels are, the greater that love, hope, and joy can be. Well, we, we need to realize that there are deep channels carved in God's heart. And those, these channels are, are caused primarily by what we do, what you and I do or don't do that, that God wants us to do. But in the end, just imagine the expanse of his emotional relationship to us, how deep it must be. I have been around people, Lloyd, that really cared for me. And uh, I have a wife that deeply cares for me. I I can tell it every day of of our lives. And I've also been around people that didn't care. And, man, you could tell that, too. And we've got to realize we sing that old song, Oh, Yes, He Cares. You know, Jesus cares. God cares. The Holy Spirit cares. I, I just don't know what it's like to be. Either a person that has so lived their life that they've alienated themselves from everyone. Or they've been so unfortunate that they've been cut off from everybody. And and to live that life alone without the thought that anyone cared. And yet many people don't realize that the single greatest being, the single greatest being is our Father in Heaven. And He always cares and has this great desire for us to be healthy and happy. And yet we break his heart. So many times we break his heart.
0: And we, there's no doubt we do. I'm going to go ahead and advance uh, the uh, slide here uh, and you will see it come up. And it is Genesis chapter six, verses five and six. six. Uh, And the heading on that is the elements of God's heartaches are regret and grief. Uh, Ray, if your turn there, why don't you just go ahead and read those two verses, and then we will come back and uh, we'll we'll exegete them, if you will.
1: Well, you've got it. Here we go. Verse five. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord one text says repented. New King James says was sorry that he made man on the earth and he was grieved in his heart. And out of those two concepts, Lloyd, all the rest of the story of Noah's Ark flowed. He was sorry that he made man. He repented that he made man and he was grieved. Um, you know, I was doing a little study on the concept of that sorrow. And his his sorrow is not like mine.
0: Nope.
1: Uh, so many times, you know, I've been sorry for things that I did. And two things that popped up in my thought process on this was that, number one, I was sorry I couldn't do anything. I just couldn't do anything. And I was sorry I didn't know anything. But this is not God. I looked that word, Yen nahem, in the Hebrew, up. Uh, uh, and really, it means a feeling of pain and sadness and unhappiness. And I'm sitting here thinking, that's God? Yeah. It's not the feeling of a mistake. Now, I've had people say, well, God made a mistake. God, God knew what was going to happen, and he made a mistake and let it happen. No, he's not like us. You know, you and I, when we come through Christ toward God, one of the, the things that we're, we're striving to do is to be forgiven of transgression and sin and ignorance and be forgiven of mistakes. And, and we, are, we want to be found without blame because in our lives we're full of it. In Ephesians 1, 4, Paul said, He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy without blame before Him in life. But God has always been holy. God has always been without blame, and he is here in this text. So when we when we see him saying that he's sorry, that it's really trying to tell us that there it's not just the fact that he said, you know, I've got to do something about man. But the very first thing was that there was this heartache in him. What man had done had broken his heart. And what he was going to have to do was going to break his heart. Go ahead.
0: I looked the word up, too. And uh, uh, like I say, you know, you and I, we don't get (laughs) into a great discussion among one another because uh, I don't want to try to influence which way you're going to go. And you don't want to influence which way I go. But we both go in the same direction anyway. I looked it up and, uh, you know, the Hebrew language and the Greek language has a lot of uh, a lot of figures of speech where that you get a, a a a a personal picture, if you will, of something. and this word that he was sorry carries a a picture idea of drawing a breath forcibly. Now, whenever I first read mm-hmm. that, I thought, what does that mean? What does it mean for someone to draw a breath forcefully? And then it dawned on me, this is piercing sorrow. I I have had to carry bad news to parents and grandparents, and you have too, that uh, someone had passed away unexpectedly. And their whole body moves whenever they take that first breath because there is such a piercing sorrow over something that has been lost and if you and I can understand let me read some verses to you here for just a moment I want to read out of Hosea chapter 11 and I'll give you some kind of idea I think through what Hosea said uh, as to what we're talking about here in uh, in Genesis chapter 6 verse 5 and 6 Hosea 11 verse 1 when Israel was a child then I loved him I called my son out of Egypt the more the prophets call them, the more they went from them. They sacrificed to Balaam, and they burnt incense to graven images. And yet I taught Ephraim to walk. I took them on my arms, but they knew not that I healed them. I drew them with cords of a man and with bands of love, and I was to them as they that lift the yoke on their jaws, and I laid food before them. They shall not return into the land of Egypt, but Assyria shall be their king. Because they refused to turn unto me. Now, I want you to stop for just a moment, and I want you to think back with your children and the time that you spent with your children trying to teach them to take those first steps and how elated that you were whenever those children took those first meager little steps. I joke with Raina. I said, you know, we spent uh, the first part of our marriage and our young children trying to teach them to walk and talk. And uh, <laughs> the second half of our marriage, we have spent telling them to sit down and shut up. <laughs> but We've that's, all done that. That's just the way that we are. But, uh, you know, whenever, when we look at this whole idea of, uh, of, of raising a child, of having a child. And, and God said, when Israel was a child, I loved him. I brought my son out of Egypt. I taught him to walk. Uh, I, I, I lifted them up on my arms. I healed them. I drew them with the cords of a man and with bands of love. I lifted the yoke on their jaw. I laid food before them. I did all of those things. Can you think and place yourself as someone that God has done so much for to get you where you are. And then can you imagine all the time that you spent with one of your children for those children to use that, that, that mobility that you taught them to walk and talk, to do things that are wrong? Did it break your heart? Absolutely, it broke your heart, and there may have even been times whenever you learned something that just caused you to draw that forceful breath. You just couldn't believe. You know, it, Lord, it just broke your heart, uh, didn't it?
1: And, and I can give you a, a case in point. We lost a son to death, and uh, I, I tell you, for for years, literally years, he died in 2010. Mom. I'd be sitting, we'd be at the house, it'd be a quiet evening, and she'd say, Ray, you're sighing because every little bit I'd go because a thought would go through my mind and I would think about what I'd lost. And and I couldn't get my breath. And and it was it was a couple of years before I could breathe right.
0: So you know doesn't mean I for Yeah, you know what nakam means. The Hebrew word nakam to draw a breath forcefully.
1: And, and and it's just it's just this it's it's a feeling, not only emotional. And of course, God, you know, God is a spirit. We've got to understand that. But I believe that He's a deeper um, entity than we are, deeper intellect than we are. And I believe that what He goes through is greater than what I go through. And what I somebody says, well, what in the world was causing him so much grief? Well, you read it in the text, and and. What you what you brought up in Hosea eleven, he said basically I set you up on your feet, and as soon as you got your ability to move and walk, what did you walk toward? Yeah. You didn't walk toward me, you walked toward the very things that would destroy you and very things that were hateful to me. Well, the word grieve there, um, I, I found a, the I, I went to a Greek word. Now the the Hebrew word there is basically the same thing because of the context. But I found a text in in Mark 3, and I want to read this to the audience and for their perusal. The, the Lord was standing for a group, and they were watching him closely in Mark 3. They wanted to see whether he would heal somebody on the Sabbath, so that they might accuse him. Now think about that. They're, they're not interested in the miracle, per se. They just want him to do it, so they can bring a charge against him. And a man stepped forward that had a withered hand, and And he asked the question to those very people, he knew their hearts, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? And they kept silent. Now watch this. And he looked around at them with anger, being grieved by the hardness of their hearts. And he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And the rest is history. He made him whole. But what grieved him, what grieved him was the hardness of their hearts. And it moved him through an emotional gamut, not only of grief, but even into the realm of anger itself. And as a parent, I think we've all gone through that. You know, you, you, you've you seen your, your children do things and you think, I never raised them up to do that. Right. And and your heart is broke. But at the same time, you're angry because the, there is an affront to this and they've damaged their relationship in the family. And you realize it's going to take some work to fix all this. And you're sorry, and you're sorry for, for what's happened, but you also know that love and sadness go together many, many times in life. So he grieves in his heart for what is in man's heart. And there's many times you and I will commit a sin and snicker at it. Now listen, when it literally takes the breath of God away That's in right. grief. That's right. Wow.
0: That's the point that we're trying to make in this yes. In this at least in this section of this, of this lesson, is that there are things that you and I can not only do, but say and think that just literally takes the breath of God away. The new King James version in Hosea 11 uses a phrase, uses a phrase, my heart churns within me. Just, just listen to the the veracity of that kind of a statement, God said, my my heart's just it, it, it's it's churning inside of me, but I want to make another point. You and I, a lot of times, the Lord was sorry. That's what the New King James says in uh, verse six. Uh, but it is not a selfish response. Now, a lot of times, right. it is with us. We have That's this. Right. Yes. We have this emotion. Right. We're sorry somebody does something to us, and and we will say, I'm sorry I ever knew you. I'm sorry that I ever gave you a chance. I'm sorry that, uh," you know, we may even tell our children, I'm sorry that I taught you to walk and talk because (laughs) you've done this. Well, I'm saying that out of a selfish ambition. I'm looking at me, and, and I'm saying, you know, you did this to me. Now, even though we are are churning the heart of God with things that we do, he's not reacting in a selfish way. He's reacting over the piercing sorrow that he has because he says, I'm losing my creation. I'm losing these souls and these people that I have given this opportunity. And it's, it's not a sorrow for him. It's a sorrow for you and I, isn't it, Ray?
1: It is. You know, that, that, that term to churn, um, if you ever understood very much about the, the lifestyle of those people back in those times, they would churn butter. But they did it different than we do. They would take an animal skin, fill it, fill it up with goat's milk, and let it, you know, begin to ferment. And then they would punch it and and grab it and squeeze it and twist it and rest it. And uh, they didn't have up and down pump churns like we do. But those actions would cause the um, milk inside that thing to turn to butter. I want you to think about churning God's heart. You know, his heart is full of pure love and, and I think care. And I even think he has a great deal of respect for his creation. The reason I say that is he made us in his image, which has a bearing on this later on. And um, we look at our children, they're made in our image, and we care about them, and then they use us for a punching bag. You know, and sometimes that can be so difficult. And again, I'm not saying this is just an issue of what happens to us, but it's something that we have a hard time conquering. Well, God conquers that. But also, the very ones that were to bring him joy, and you'll see there in Genesis 6, verse 7, God said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth. And look, there was no other chance now. Uh, Even though Noah found grace, Noah was one of eight. That was it. And in order to bring salvation to the world and ever save mankind that God had created and given the freedom to make choices, by the way, one of the greatest acts, which I think was very difficult on the heart of God, was to give us that choice. It would have been much easier to just predetermined everything that we do and you know, made us little automatons. I think some parents want to do that with their children. Yep. That way they, they, they'll never have a broken heart because they just have to do what we tell them to do. But because of this, how's he going to save the world unless he removes the part of that world at that time that was bent on breaking his heart continually? Remember what he said? The wickedness of man was great. Every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. What kind of child only thinks about going against the parent, no matter what? I'm not going to mind. I'm not going to obey. I want to hurt you. I see people like that today in this culture. But well, I don't think God has ceased to love them. I think he loves them. Of
0: course he does. But... Yes. But, and, uh, you know... When we look at this sorrow here that he's expressing in Genesis chapter 6, yeah, it's going to lead to the destruction of the world with the flood. There's no doubt about it, uh, even though we gave those people a chance. But this sorrow that we have here that is exhibited in Genesis 6 is a sorrow that leads to, first of all, I think, pity for mankind and the decisions that he made it leads to grief, it leads to regret, and there is compassion there. Otherwise God would have no heart. It breaks his heart to have to do what he is doing here, but it was not his doing, it was man's choice. And you were talking about uh, a while ago, Uh, Wouldn't it be nice, you know, some parents think if we could just uh, wind our kids up like little robots Mm -hmm. and send them out and they could only go where we programmed them them to go or told them to go and everything. But you know what? There's no glory and there's no honor and there's no pride in that. How much better is it whenever we work with our children, when we train our children, as uh, uh, Paul told the Ephesians in chapter six? whenever we leave a godly example to our children and then they follow that of their own volition sure we encourage them to do that sure we left them example to do that but doesn't it bring us a degree of of honor and respect and pride for doing that it's no different with god he wants us to love him he wants us to worship him he wants us to our hearts to be drawn closer to him but he doesn't want to make us do that he wants us to do it of our own volition and there's a difference isn't there
1: there certainly is and i think it's a greater relationship when there's freedom in that relationship now we all know that there are certain have-to things that we do i know that but gradually over a period of time you know we come to god as little children and sometimes, as the Bible says, we're no better than a slave. But eventually, we advance to more perfect relationship. And suddenly, we realize, you know, God is leading us by grace and by love. I mean, those are very emotional concepts that we study in Scripture. They're not cold, hard, formal concepts. They're not legalistic concepts. Matter of fact, when, when there's love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, gentleness, meekness, self-control, all the fruits of the Spirit, The Bible says there's no law that can force that on anybody. This is something God wants from us. Now, he will give us the information. He will give us the Spirit. He's given us his Son. He's given us uh, uh, a connection to his character that we might know to pursue those things. But in the end, he cannot and will not make us do these things. And so here he is looking at the big picture in Genesis 6 and knowing, that if I lose the last family, that last family is Noah. If I lose them, then this this whole thing is done. It's over. Yep. You know, Satan wins the battle. So even though now this this what I'm getting ready to say here is one of the hardest things as a parent to ever say. Even though our emotions have been moved by regret, and we're grieved, we cannot forget the big picture. We cannot forget, let's say we have a child that's a black sheep and won't mind. We cannot forget there are other children. Right. We cannot forget there's a relationship between a husband and wife. We cannot forget our relationship to God. That's so hard because sometimes we feel guilty because we're still clinging to those things, maybe when we have a child that doesn't. Right. You see, and what a heartache that is for it, God here. It is,
0: and and he's having to make a a drastic decision here. To take most yes. of his creation, yes. the la- a large percent, well, minus eight people. We have no idea how many people there there were on the earth at that time. No. but all of them, but eight perished because of their decisions, and no and, one.
1: And much of, of the animal kingdom were go- is going to die. Yeah. You know, a lot of things are going to die because of all this.
0: Yeah, well, we have such an influence on the world. You know. Uh, paul said even creation was groaning over decisions that uh, people have made no wonder his heart was churning inside. You but uh, let's let's move on to the second one here and uh, we may get we may accidentally get to number 3 out of maybe 6 here that <laughs> we've got i don't know we've uh, we'll <laughs> we've got a passage uh, out of numbers 23 and verse 19 uh, that simply begins by saying god is not man And uh, we pulled out of that how God is not like man in his heartaches. And I'm going to let you take off on that first, if you want to.
1: Well, the text is dealing with Balaam's second prophecy to Balak. and, And I'll just cut to the chase. Balaam would love to get some money out of Balak. He would love to be able to tell Balak exactly what he wants to hear. But... When he took up his oracle in Numbers 23, start with verse 18, he said, Rise up, Balak, and hear, listen to me, son of Zippor. Then he said this God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent or be sorry. Has he said, and will he not do, or has he spoken, and will he not make it good? Behold, I've received a command to bless. He is blessed, and I cannot reverse it. Now now Balaam wanted to. He wanted to reverse that blessing, but he couldn't do it. And he said, the reason is God is speaking through me, and God is not like us. He doesn't lie. Now 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 we've just read where God repented. Now we're reading where it says, God is not a man that should repent. So what we what we glean out of that, we either have a contradiction in scripture. And that many people will study it like that. And I know, I know far too many brethren, Lloyd, that like to take this this view that God changes not at all, no time, no way, uh-uh. Once you've done something, you're doomed, you're done, you know, one strike and you're out. I remember many years ago, I heard a, a fellow, I, I just thought he was an interesting guy, very early in my preaching life and his name was Norman Midget, and he was like six foot two or three, and of course, I'm only five, six and a half, so he's tall, you know, man to me. I could not understand why they called him Midget. But anyway, he got up and preached a sermon, and he entitled it Changing the Mind of God. And what he did was he went through various passages where people prayed to God and petitioned to God, and God changed from things he had said he was going to do. Now, not because he was wishy-washy, but because he was merciful. right? And he cared about the needs of the people. But God is not a man in his heartaches like you and I are. Now, I want to say this before you take up in here, because human emotions are affected by a lot of things that God is not touched by. Human emotions are affected by the chemistry of who we are. Now, listen, I've inherited certain things from my parents. I do not doubt that. Predilections to temper. Uh, sometimes we even inherit certain fears. It just—it we're just hardwired for it. Uh, I also, my emotions have been affected by circumstances of my upbringing, circumstances that have gone into my life, even now that are in my life. Uh, My emotions are affected to a certain extent by connections. You know, if you've ever if you had a father that said Boys don't cry, you don't show emotions. Right. Well it's very hard to show emotions if you've been punished when you did. I'm also my emotions are affected by my conscience or my lack of it. You see, some people are hard hearted. They feel nothing. I mean they're they're antisocial, sociopathic in their Uh, approach to life and others our hearts are on our sleeves and I my emotions are affected by choices as one man said God's not affected by time or space like we are he's not his emotions are genuine matter of fact I think his emotions are emotions he allows himself to have that he sees the need of having he sees that it's healthy for him to have it I wish we could do that I wish we could all understand What are the healthy emotions that we personally in our individual specific life really need? And I think the Bible teaches those things to us if we would study those things. And I remember one time in Isaiah 63, I won't read it for the sake of time, but where it speaks of God's yearnings for his people. And there was a prayer there. And as the prayer was offered up, they were calling upon God's yearnings. The stirrings of his heart, his strong passions, they were playing upon that. Now, I don't mean that in an ugly way, because we should. We should know that God's passions and emotions don't change God's plans. They they don't change God's character. They don't change God's truth. Matter of fact, his emotions magnify his character, magnify his plans. And show his justness, show his rightness, and show his love. Oof.
0: Yeah, I know. And you know, in, uh, in, in looking at this, that God is, is not man. But we're made in his image, and there are certain things, and I know that there are some things that, that you're going to say about the reflection of that image and stuff, and we may not even get to that tonight. But uh, let me throw this out. The whole idea of psychology of personhood is the state of being an individual, an individual that has intellect, an individual that has emotion, an individual that has volition. Now, as you rightly pointed out, we as humans react to things in this world, physical, but we also react to things that are spiritual because we are made in the image of God and he is a spiritual being. But, you know, Ray, I think the fact that we have emotions is proof that God has emotions because, as Genesis 1 and verse 27 says, we are made in his image. What he's trying to show us through this, though, is how do you use these emotions? Now, I'm going to get to a point here in just a moment, but I want to say a few things. There is proof of God's emotions in the incarnation of Jesus, of Jesus becoming a man, because he, he displayed these emotions in John 11. Remember whenever he was at the tomb of Lazarus, he wept. Why? Because he spirit, he experienced that emotion of family loss and of death. And so he cried. And so it's okay for us to cry. I have used that passage to tell people at a funeral, man or woman, it is okay, child, it is okay to cry. Jesus did that at, uh, in effect, the funeral of Lazarus because, uh, you know, the Jews, whenever they saw him crying, they said, look and see how much that he loved him. It is is a show of something that's going on deep inside of our heart. But he also had compassion. I see that out of Mark chapter 6. He was overcome with sorrow in matthew chapter twenty six so much so that that the sweat was as it were great drops of blood, but through it all, through every emotion that that Jesus went through as both man and God, I want to read a passage out of John chapter fourteen because I think it's a culmination of everything uh every emotion that uh, Jesus had. It says in verse 9, well, look at verse 8. You know, he he has just said uh, that he's he's going to prepare a place for us. And uh, in verse 8, Philip said unto him, Lord, if you'll show us the Father, it will suffice us. And Jesus said unto him, Have I been with you all this time? And yet hast thou not known me, Philip, he that has seen me? has seen the Father. How sayest thou then, show us the Father? Through my emotions, the the emotional makeup of me, I'm showing you the emotions that God also experiences in these things. But God's emotions are consistent with who he is. In other words, he doesn't have mood swings. You know, there may be one day whenever I get up, I'm mad at the world. God doesn't (laughs) wake up that way. There may be another day that I wake up that everything is just great. I cannot wait to get for my feet to hit the floor and go. And uh, no matter what comes my way that day, it's, it's going to be all right. But God does respond emotionally to our actions, to the things that we do, to our thoughts, he consistently, now I'm underscoring that word. He consistently loves righteousness. He consistently hates evil. And his re- his emotions, his reactions are never clouded. He can see perfectly through his emotions. His emotions never lead him. They always follow in concert with the character that Amen. God has. He, God never has a bad day. He all he, he is always consistent. You know, uh James said that there is neither a shadow cast by turning. In other words, uh sun comes up and it's in this position and the sundial is pointing over here. Uh, Whenever it moves to this part, it's pointing over here. He said, you don't have to worry about God. He doesn't move. He is consistent with his character. He is consistent with with everything uh, that involves his, his makeup, his intellect, his emotions, his volition, and everything there. We can take comfort in that because we know he's always where we left him. You
1: know something, Lloyd? And as you said that, again, a thought came to my mind. Many times we will try to manipulate other people through their emotions. And babies will do it. That's why they smile at you and, you know, da-da-goo-goo. And and don't get me wrong, I doubt that they're really thinking about that, but uh, that makes us feed them and take care of them and so forth. We love them. But you can't do that to God. There's a lot of people. God loves me, so you know I can who do God, and, and God cares for me, and I can take advantage of God. Well, I can do it to that preacher, I can do it to the those people out there at that church. Uh, you know, all I have to do is put on this this little show of pity, or maybe pseudo repentance, and and they're all just going to fall down and, and give me what I want. Let me read you something. In in Isaiah 55, the Bible tells us first of all about God's love for man. It says in verse 7, let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord and he will have mercy on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. I love those verses. But then I read these verses for my thoughts are not your thoughts nor are your ways my ways says the Lord. Now I think ways there means everything. Motions, everything. Not to the depth that God has. And not to the purity of God. For as the heavens are higher than the earth. Now here we go. My ways are higher than yours. And my thoughts than yours. And he goes on to say that the results of his thoughts. It's like the rain coming down. And it waters the earth. And it brings forth. uh, uh, Makes it bring forth in bud. And it gives seed to the sword. And he said look my word. And don't just think about the Bible. Think about the words of God, the words formulated in his mind that he sent to this world. He says, it'll be that way that comes from my mouth. It will not return to me void, but it will accomplish what I please. Now, now what's the word trying to do? It's not trying to accomplish what I please, Raymond. It's not trying to cater to a sport, you know, sinner, but it's to accomplish what this great God in heaven pleases. He said, it will prosper in the thing for which I sent it. For you shall go out with joy and be led out with peace. The mountains and the hills shall bring forth into singing before you. Now, when's that going to happen? Well, that happens as I turn to God and stand before God. Now, I loved what you said about personhood. You know, man is made in the image of God. That's where we get our personhood from. Right. We, he is an uncreated intelligence. But guess what? I am. I am a created intelligence. I am a created eternal intelligence. But I had a beginning. But the best I can ever be. And I want to read this to you. First Corinthians 11:7. For man is the image and the glory of God. What's that mean? Well, I'm not equal to God. Well, that would be bringing God down to my level. And, and, and I'm, not, I'm not better than God. That would take me over God. But what I am, I look that word image up as it's used in the New Testament, and it's the word icon, E-I-K-O-N in the Greek. And we have a word like that, I-C-O-N. And it means a visible representation. But usually it's kind of a cartoon, the icons that we have, of what the real thing is. It's kind of a shallow representation of what the real thing is. Now, in Christ... There is a perfect representation of what the real thing is. I will say this. He is also the express image of God. Are we not? We've read that in Hebrews 1, 3, Colossians 1, 15, 16. But that word carries with it the idea of a complete similarity. And me, I don't reach that level. I'm a little lower than the angels. I'm never going to be equal to God. But the the problem is, I want him to have my emotions about everything. And I'm watching people today manipulate people emotionally. Don't get me wrong. I think feelings are tremendously involved in our relationship to God. But I also think we cannot manipulate God with our feelings. We've got to learn this. God is not like man in his emotions totally. Because he is deeper. He is greater. One other passage, and I'll shut up. I'm filibustering, but (laughs) I I was getting kind of excited about all this. In Romans 8, do you remember what Paul said? He said, I'm persuaded, verse 38, that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor watch, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Boy, that love must be powerful. I love God. I love my wife. I love my family. But you know what? There have been things that that come between me and what I love. I'm talking about that I let come there. But God won't let it happen. But I'm not God. This is one reason I trust him so much to be clear in what his emotions focus on when sometimes I'm muddy on what my emotions are focused on.
0: And you bring up an excellent point, and it's it's a good one to kind of close on, I think, as, as well. We've learned since we were little children that we could use emotions and facial expressions and body language to get our way, to do things. Amen. Uh, and and inadvertently, we're trying to do that with God a lot of times. We're trying to uh, manipulate Him through the things that we do. He He cannot, He will not be manipulated through our emotions. It is it is the misuse of our emotions which which we have, as, as you pointed out, as an image of God. He has these emotions, but he uses them correctly. I want to read uh, Psalm 81. I want to begin reading at verse 8, and I want you to hear what God says because he says, here's the deal. If you want to please me, if you want to have the benefits that I can offer you, then listen. He says in verse eight, hear, O my people, and I will testify unto you, Israel, if you would have hearkened unto me, there shall be no strange gods in thee, neither shalt thou worship any foreign god. I am the Lord thy God who brought thee out up out of the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. But my people did not hearken to my voice. And Israel would do none of me, do none of the things that I asked them to do. So I let them go after the stubbornness of their own heart, that they might walk in their own counsels. And then he says, oh, that my people would just listen to me, hearken to me, that Israel would walk in my ways. I would soon subdue their enemies and turn my hand against their adversaries the haters of the lord should submit themselves unto him but their time should endure forever in other words god said here's the secret you cannot manipulate me by by sticking out that uh pouty lip and uh and, and trying you know we've we've all had our kids to do that or uh you know patronize somebody tell them oh you are just the best at this you know we used to tell one of our one of my brother-in-laws he was big stout thing and and uh, we were doing square baling of hay and uh, those last bales at the very top especially heavy bales you just couldn't hardly get them up there they would kill you and we would tell him we'd say nobody can get those bales up there ain't nobody (laughs) can get those last five bales up on that wagon and I mean, he'd grab them things and he think, what were we doing? We were patronizing him. We were trying emotionally to convince him to do what we didn't want to do. And that's exactly what we try to do with God so many times. He will have none of it. And he says, I wish you would just listen to me. I wish you would just do what I want you to do. Because when you don't, not only is it to your detriment, but it is absolutely tearing my heart apart i I just I gasp at the very thought of breaking God's heart, don't you
1: I do we and I know our time is up, and when we come back for the second part, that text in Ezekiel six verses seven through eleven I wish everybody would read that yeah between now and then, and that would really really bring up sum up really what we've been saying. So far, I think everybody that's listening realizes that anytime we explore the depths of emotions of anybody, first of all, a husband to his wife and vice versa, or to our children, we realize that there is a lot of emotions below the surface of uh, that face that we're looking at that we've never tapped into, that we've never understood. And probably one of the strongest ways we can build relationship is to try to understand what emotionally is affecting the people that we maybe are having problems with or wanting to connect to and can't connect to. And if we can ever find out what triggers those emotions, we have a great chance to solidify that relationship. But when you're talking about God and you go to the level of his emotions, and one of the most important things you'll ever, you should never forget about God is his emotions will never lead to his worst self like ours do sometimes. He will never forget. Who he is, he will never forget his honor, his glory, no matter how deeply he's affected and how sad he is and how heartbroken he is. Where you and I may be blinded by the heartbreak or blinded by hope. We want to see somebody do something so bad we think, well, this time they're going to do it. And they don't. God is not fooled like that. No, nope. he's not fooled, you know.
0: No, he's not. And uh, we only got through two of these. I knew that it was going to be very difficult for <laughs> us uh, tonight. To uh, so we've got three, four, and five for next week. Uh, yes, go to Ezekiel chapter six, verses seven through eleven, and uh, read those verses because that's where we're gonna that's where we're gonna begin next week.